0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit LCEF.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 11th, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 38 verses 1 to 23. The Lord tells Ezekiel to set his face toward Gog, from the land of Magog and prophesy against him so that this chief prince would know that the Lord will decisively defeat all of the enemies of his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor William Turgeson. Pastor Turgeson serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgesson, welcome to Sharper Iron.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Glad to have you with us as a guest today. Pastor, let's talk a little context. We're in Ezekiel 38. What should we know about the surrounding chapters, Ezekiel's ministry, that'll help us with what we've got today?
1: So Ezekiel is uh, prophesying during the time of the Babylonian captivity, and he is uh, endeavoring to uh, comfort the people who are captives in Babylon, And chapters 33 through 48 in particular uh, focus on the comfort that he seeks to give them. Now, what he's looking at is he's looking through the end of the captivity, looking through the return of uh, the people of Israel to their land. And he is looking to the coming of the Messianic age, the coming of Christ the coming of the kingdom of grace and the coming of the kingdom of glory, and so he talks. Uh, he talks about my servant David shall feed them and shall uh, be their shepherd, and of course that's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the son of David. He also uh, speaks about uh, things that, to to our ears, remind us of holy baptism. He talks about sprinkling clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols will i cleanse you i'll give you a new heart and a new spirit uh... will i put within you and i will remove the heart of stone uh... and put my spirit within you so there we see in in the uh, 36th chapter something uh... something that reminds us of holy baptism in the uh... in under the new covenant And then in chapter 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones, and that uh, calls to mind the words of Jesus in chapter 5 of St. John, where Jesus speaks of the two resurrections. Uh, The first resurrection is when the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and live. That is when people hear the gospel and are converted, and then The second resurrection, the end time resurrection, when those who are in the grave shall hear his voice and come forth, uh, some to the resurrection of life and some to the resurrection of condemnation. So therefore, in the chapters that lead up to chapter 38, we are looking through the return from Babylon to the coming of the Messiah and the kingdom that he inaugurates.
0: So with, with that picture in mind then, the coming of the, the return from Babylon and the coming of the kingdom of the Christ, where is chapter 38 and, and chapter 39, we're going to take them in two separate episodes, but they really do go together. Where are these two chapters going to take us as, as Ezekiel moves into these? All
1: right, now when we get to uh, uh, when we get to chapter 38, We are in the Messianic age, and specifically, we are in the end of it, just prior to the second coming of Christ, that that, uh, this Gog and Magog and this whole group of people is referred to later on in the book of Revelation as an end-time attack upon the Church of Christ. And so we are looking forward to that time. Uh, St. John calls it the little season uh, before the end. Uh, some uh, refer to it as the Great Tribulation, uh, which is followed immediately by the Second Coming of our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Hmm. Well, you've, you've made some connections already to the revelation given to St. John, and I know we're going to dig into those a little bit more as we, we read the text here in Ezekiel 38, but with those connections that are there, and, and as we think about what Ezekiel's doing here in this part of his book, and i mean just trying to, to think about how we're going to read this particular chapter, and again 39 as well, wh- what type of literature are we going to encounter here? Is this historical narrative, historical prophecy, like we've seen quite a bit in the book of Ezekiel, or are we looking at something a little bit different here?
1: Well, what, what Ezekiel is doing is he is using Old Testament terminology in order to express New Testament realities. So that, uh, you know, if you, if you interpret uh, the 38th and 39th chapters of Ezekiel literally as if he is describing an actual physical literal occurrence is going to happen in just this way, you end up uh, uh, coming to conclusions similar to those of the premillennialist rapture theology people who take all of these things very literally and who believe that there is going to be a literal earthly thousand-year kingdom of Christ upon this earth at the end of which will be the ba- Battle of Armageddon, and then the New heaven and the New Earth. So So Ezekiel is not writing here in order to uh, cause us to be trusting in some kind of earthly kingdom that's going to be literally brought to fulfillment, as it's written here, but he is prophesying, the spiritual realities of the kingdom of grace. That is the, the redemption in Christ, the salvation brought to sinners through the gospel, the, uh, uh, the victory of the sinner over death, sin, sin and the devil, faith in Christ and our eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth after the coming
0: of Christ I think that's a really important reminder for us as we read again Ezekiel 38 today and 39 tomorrow so that we wouldn't look at this text and then maybe say turn on the news on cable television or look at the newspaper and try to figure out which of these events correspond with whatever happens to be going on in the news today but rather that these these texts would point us toward our Savior Jesus Christ to what He's doing right now, and and will continue to do up until the last day. In terms of, so I'm right with you, Pastor Turgeson, in, in the way that we read this literature. But just as as we look at it, and we're gonna, you know, hear talk of a battle that's going to be, happen and things like that. What what in this text is going to distinguish it so that we should read it like that? As opposed to, say, some of those chapters 25 through 32 in Ezekiel were a series of oracles against nations. And, I mean, I'm thinking through, just in my own mind, back to, say, the the ones against Tyre and the ones against Egypt, which described beforehand, you know, I mean, actual downfall of the city of Tyre and the nation of Egypt at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar in history. What are we going to encounter in chapters 38 and 39 that that invites us to read it in the way that you're suggesting, which, again, I agree with, as opposed to the way we read 25 and th- 25 through
1: 32? Well, the, fir- the first thing I think uh, that I notice is that we are right at the top of it, confronted with these people, these groups, Gog and Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and, uh, and, and as, we, as we hear these names, we are immediately reminded of Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations, that these nations and persons are related to the descendants of Japheth. Uh, so after the flood, when uh, the sons of Noah spread out on the earth, the, the, the people of what we call Gog and Magog and Gomer and Tubal and all those people, they are people who settled way up north, way in the distance. So they are not people that the Israelites would have had uh, close contact with. They are kind of like way in the hinterlands uh, of, their, uh, of their horizon whereas the others like Tyre and Babylon and all those, those are people with whom they we we read about uh, having specific conflicts with those people in the history of the kings of Israel, etc. So here we are being shown a uh, an enemy of the people of God that is remote and mysterious, and it's up in the far north, uh, way up there in the clouds and in the mountains, in Asia Minor and uh, etc. And so that kind of points us to the fact that we are dealing with something a little bit more than just the reportage of specific clashes between one country and another.
0: Could we call this then... Uh, the term that I've often used or heard is apocalyptic literature. Is that a fair dis- designation for a text like this?
1: Yeah, yeah. Good. And, and, uh, and that would be the thing that takes us... You know, here we have this group of people who are mentioned in Genesis 10, right after the Great Flood. Right. Here they're mentioned again in Ezekiel, and then in the book of Revelation they're mentioned again with connection the end just before the end of the world so yes apocalyptic
0: very good well let's let's go ahead and, and jump into this text we've talked about pieces of it already let's let's start to read here we're in ezekiel 38 begin at the first mm-hmm. verse the word of the All lord right? the word of the lord came to me son of man set your face toward gog of the land of magog the chief prince of meshech and tubal and prophesy against him and say thus says the lord god Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out, and all your army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Beth Togarma. From the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes, many peoples are with you. Be ready and keep ready, you and all your hosts that are assembled about you, and be a guard for them. After many days you will be mustered. In the latter years you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste." Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely, all of them. You will advance, coming on like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your hordes, and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day thoughts will come into your mind, and you will devise an evil scheme, and say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages." I will fall upon the quiet people who dwell securely, all of them dwelling without walls and having no bars or gates, to seize, spoil, and carry off plunder, to turn your hand against the waste places that are now inhabited, and the people who were gathered from the nations, who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell at the center of the earth. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish and all its leaders will say to you, have you come to seize spoil? Have you assembled your hosts to carry off plunder, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to seize great spoil? I will I think I'll pause there, Pastor Turchison. That takes us through verse 13 of the text. So mm-hmm. we meet at the beginning Gog, who's the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. He's from the land of Magog. You, you've mentioned some of these places already for us. Is there I mean we've talked about how we, we need to understand this as apocalyptic literature. Is there any sort of historical referent in the background? I mean you, you've mentioned again Genesis 10, but is there any kind of historical right. reference in the background maybe closer to Ezekiel's time?
1: Well, what Gog and Magog are is that they they can be described in other senses like for example in in the book of Isaiah uh, where the the king of Tyre is spoken of as if he were the devil uh you know that lucifer uh son of the morning etc and and the same thing happens again i believe in the 28th chapter of Ezekiel
0: yeah. where
1: where uh, god speaks to this personage who doesn't really who it's it's an earthly person but it doesn't really sound like an earthly person that's being talked about there seems to be a spirit behind this person who is being referred to and and so you know if you look at uh the the history of the bible you know we have we have cain and abel for example you know abel the faithful uh child of god and cain the rebellious one who tries to offer God worship on his own terms and who then rises up and slays his brother. Uh, You know, we have personages like uh, Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, or some say against the Lord. And he is the one who supposedly founded uh, Babel and the Tower of Babel. And so that's what we're looking for when we're when we're considering Gog. Was was this a real person? Yes. Uh, was it a real nation? Yes, it was. But in in Ezekiel, he's not being portrayed as a literal physical kingdom, but as a as as a reality of of evil opposition to God and to his people. Uh, And especially here with the reference to the word in the latter years, in the end times, you will uh, will come against the land. So we're talking about end time eschatological character. And so Gog here represents opposition to the word of God, opposition to the church of God, opposition to christ and his salvation
0: in terms of the, the way that that's working then with gog magog a real person real place but being used to stand in for any enemy of god and his people i'm trying to think of, of maybe a, a similar way we use language like that so maybe something to the effect of i suppose you could say something like this about someone he's a real judas or you could say something she's a real jezebel where there are these names that have this connotation bigger than the individual. And when you use that name, you want to call to mind something about that individual, but you're applying it in a larger sense. Is that kind of how Gog, Magog are being used here to to take an individual, but to, to say something much bigger than just one individual person or nation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in in the uh, where where it's mentioned in Revelation chapter 20, uh, the the names of Gog and Magog are mentioned in connection with Satan being loosed from his uh, his bondage and allowed to go forth and deceive the nations. And he goes forth and he gathers all of the nations together in opposition to the saints of god that is to the church of god and uh, and he brings them together in opposition to go to war against the church the word of god and and jesus christ and then fire comes down from heaven and destroys them all and so what we're reading in ezekiel 38 about Gog and Magog coming against the land is what St. John refers to as this end time attack upon or persecution of the church and the Word of God uh, uh, just
0: preceding the end of the world. So with Gog and Magog, we have that end times view, that that ultimate battle that's that's taking place between the Lord, and all of his enemies, the ones who attack him and attack his people, and, and John, Ezekiel both are, are really, I think, pushing toward that end times view. You you mentioned a lot of, of I mean, you go back way in history, all the way back to Cain and Abel is where you took us. You also mentioned Nimrod. Where else do we see this same type of enmity between the people of or between an enemy of God and his people that gets expressed in a maybe a gog like way?
1: Well, you see, for example, uh, Babylon. Babylon is noted as the great enemy of the children of Israel, and whenever they think of uh, the Babylonian captivity, that was like a a terrible cataclysm in their national life together. Another person is uh, under the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic Empire, was a guy by the name of Antiochus IV. He's known sometimes as Epiphanes. And he persecuted the Jews and became kind of like a type of of anti-Christian government uh, uh, tyranny. Also, you have the situation of the Roman occupation of the Holy Land and the different attitudes that you see in uh, to the Romans among the Jews and uh, and Christ and his disciples. So and then you can look forward to the uh, the persecutions of the Christians by the Roman uh, the Roman Kingdom and also the Holy Roman Empire and its opposition to the Reformation and uh, the troubles it brought to uh, Doctor Martin Luther.
0: So I mean we see representations of this enmity toward the church and toward the Lord throughout history, both in, in biblical history and in, in church history later. How does, how does the same type of, you know, gog-like, gog-like opposition to the church? How do we see it even in our own day today as Christians?
1: Well, whenever, whenever governments transgress their proper calling and their proper authority, and intrude upon uh, God and His kingdom and His word, uh, then they ha- then they have become Gog-like. Uh, th- they have become they have set themselves up in opposition to God, and they command what God forbids, and they forbid what God commands. And so, uh, you know, you can see this. In modern history, you, know, you can talk about Hitler, you can talk about Stalin, you can talk about Mao, uh, and, uh, and, and so, some people would say that there is, in the background of our life here in America, there is always that temptation uh, on, the, on the part of human government to, to go further than it has the authority to do and to act in ways that are, uh, that are uh, against Christ, his word, and his church. So when the apostles, for example, in Jerusalem were forbidden by the Sanhedrin to preach or teach in the name of Jesus, uh, Peter said to them, we must obey God rather than men. And so the Sanhedrin, by opposing the gospel and opposing the preaching and teaching of Christ, they had transgressed their rightful authority and stepped into the spiritual realm. They had left the kingdom of the left and entered in upon the kingdom of the right with no authority to do so. And they they then became Gog and Magog-like because they made themselves in enmity against Christ and his word.
0: I think the example that you bring up of the Sanhedrin and the way that they opposed the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts is important, because, I mean, for the most part, the examples that we've been talking about have been secular authorities persecuting the Church, but with the Sanhedrin, you have at least in part an example of those who who knew the word of God, who should have known better. I mean, you know, this is Jesus constantly engaging with the Pharisees. Haven't you read in, in the scriptures what the Lord says? I think it's, it's a helpful reminder, lest we become prideful and think that this sort of opposition to the Lord, to his church, uh, only comes from the outside. And, and remember the warning that we do find both in the Old and the New Testament to examine ourselves lest opposition come from within and and attack us from within. I I think that's a a helpful reminder as you bring up the Sanhedrin.
1: Yep. Yep. It's very easy, especially especially when we go through long periods of time of tribulation uh, and uh, difficulty, Uh, we can begin to think of uh, we can begin to transfer our hopes from heavenly, spiritual, and godly hopes that are revealed to us in the Word and to look for some kind of earthly thing. And this is what happens in the, uh, uh, as the Israelites go back from Babylon. They come back to the Holy Land. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the city of Jerusalem, and they look at what they've done, and it doesn't look like the beautiful temple that Ezekiel describes in chapters 40 mm-hmm. to 48. And they, they're they like, so is this it? Is this it? And then, of course, they are under the dominion of Persia. Then the new king comes on the block, Alexander the Great, and they are under the thumb of the Alexandrian Empire, the Greek Empire. And then... They are finally under the Roman Empire. And all throughout this time, they are wondering, what's going on? Where is God's promise fulfillment uh, coming? And so what happens is they begin to kind of shift their eyes away from the, the, the promises of God and focus upon the law of God. And so by the time the Messiah comes and Jesus is among them, they cannot recognize him because they have bought into a works righteousness uh, that puts them in opposition to everything that Jesus does.
0: And, And in that way, they find themselves acting as Gog, Magog, having had the gospel but then Given it up for a works of the law, for that righteousness that is apart from Christ. And the Lord would have us have his righteousness in Christ. That's why he protects us from Gog and Magog. We'll pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 38 with Pastor Turgeson. We will be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 11th. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 1 to 23 with Pastor William Turgeson He serves at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York. Pastor Turgeson prior to the break, we were talking a lot about Gog and Magog, thinking of various examples that fit the description we've got here in Ezekiel 38 throughout history, all pointing forward to that end times reality that we get described also by St. John in revelation chapter 20, thinking through the the text that's here in Ezekiel 38, help us with some of the descriptions that are, that are given here of Gog of Magog. This, you know, he's described as a, a mighty warrior. He's got quite a host of, of armies with him. What do you see in here and, and how he's described and the things that he says in this text that, that we need to pay attention to?
1: Well, first of all, um, we, we learn of Gog and Magog, and we learn of some of the people who end up in his army, such as Persia and Cush and Put and Gomer and Beth and uh, And so it is a mighty host that gets it in their mind that they are going to attack the Holy Land, the people of God. But to bear in mind here is that God says through Ezekiel, I am against you O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws and I will bring you out, all your army horses, etc. So here this, this powerful army is humbled by the word of God, which informs them that they are only tools in the hand of God, mm. and uh, and that their plan to go down and take a uh, prize from the people who are dwelling in security is really they are only succeeding in their opposition to God. They are only succeeding in fulfilling God's prophetic will uh, to bring about all those things that have been prophesied. And uh, And so Gog may think of himself as the man with the plan, the one who is going to get the job done that needs to be done, but really he's only a tool in God's hands.
0: That theme really sticks out prominently, both in the verses that we read and the verses that we will pick up later, that the Lord is the one behind all of this. He's the one directing the verbs. He's the one, as you said, he's the one that's going to put the hook into his jaw and turn him about and gather the army and and bring the army and and make the army think, or show the army, that in fact, although they think they're in charge, they're not. And I, I think, I mean, this reality, that God is the one who is in charge of these armies, even of his enemies, it, it has an effect, a twofold effect. One, it's going to have an effect on the armies who are the enemies, and then it, this should also have an effect on the people of God who hear this reality. Like you, you've already started to to take us into that first one, dig a little deeper into that, Pastor Churchson. Of this this reality that God reveals to Gog, Magog, to the enemies of His church, that He's actually behind what what they're doing. What's the effect upon the enemies of God as they they come to the realization, they hear what God is up to?
1: Well. When the enemies of God hear what it's up to, of course, they laugh at it Mm. ahead of time. That's true. But the result is that when it all begins to happen, they are dumbstruck by it, Mm. you know, that it happened exactly as the Word of God said. But the other thing to bear in mind is that for, for for the people of God, you know, there are times in our lives when things go haywire, and it appears as if God is not in control. You know, it's like, where is God when I am in such trouble? All of these things going on in the world, and all of this anti-Christian stuff taking place, and uh, people are forsaking the churches, they're forsaking the Word of God. We have this great push of secularism, and to the Christian faithful, it seems like, why, why is God letting this stuff happen? Why where is he and, 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 and what's going on? And it's at times like that that we must remember that we may be confused and we may be unsure, but God is never confused and he is never at a lack. And what he says will be and what he wills will come to pass. Uh, and therefore, when we who believe in him and trust in him are uh, in the midst of times of great stress, we may lay hold of this anchor that in some way God is going to bring out of this the, his glory and his people's benefit. And so the people of, of the enemies of the, go- of the gospel and of the Lord they, they mock and they laugh at what the Word of God teaches concerning their end. Uh, but when the end comes, they will remember that the Word of God de- declared it and decreed it, and that God's Word was true and right, despite all of their mockery. But for the people of God who are troubled, you know, we have in the, in the text here... The the people of God are described as people who have been restored from war, the land whose people has been gathered from many peoples. Its people were brought out from the peoples, now dwell securely, all of them. Here you see how Ezekiel is looking through the return from Babylon, and he is looking toward the spiritual kingdom of grace. Because there was no time really during the time between the end of the Babylonian captivity and the coming of Christ that the Israelites for any length of time dwelt in any real physical security. So the security that is described here, having no bars, no gates, no walls, etc., dwelling securely, being at peace, this describes the kingdom of grace, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding in the gospel. And so it is, it is a, uh, a marvel to Gog and Magog and all those who oppose the church. It is a marvel, but to the Christian and to the believer in the word of God, it is a great comfort to know that our security is in Christ and in his word, and that come what may, Uh, we can be at peace, because being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: That that is a fantastic explanation, Pastor Turchison. There's so many many parallel texts that are coming to my mind right now. The first place that I—I mean, as you're talking about this dual effect— I think one of the, the narratives that you see that very clearly in the scriptures is what happens with Pharaoh and his army when they go and they chase after the people of Israel and trap them by the Red Sea. And, and in particular, how, you know, over and over again, the Lord has told Pharaoh who he is and and what he's doing, and Pharaoh's hardened his heart, and then the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart, and until finally, it's, it's not until the the people of Egypt, the army there is in the middle of the Red Sea and they realize what's going on and they, they experience what I think you said, dumbstruck, that that finally happens to them when they're, they're watching the last of the people of Israel escape through the dry ground and they realize that they're about to be drowned. And oh man, what a, I mean, what a fantastic picture of the Lord and this victory that he wins. There, of course, a, a foreshadowing of what's happening with Gog and Magog and what he does to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on the, on the flip side of that, in that same text, thinking what you're saying about the the church and the people of God, you know, dwelling secure, securely and, and almost like, I mean, that doesn't seem like there's any defenses. <laughs> and, and if you're going to pick on somebody, it seems that the church would be prime prime pickings and, and i mean i think that's what pharaoh's thinking there he's got the people of israel trapped right by the red sea who's going to save them and and yet i mean that's the the beauty of being the church is that the lord does you know put us out there as a city on the hill light on the world it, it may look like we're defenseless prime prime or ripe for the picking by our enemies and yet because he's our defense we can be still <laughs> and know that he's Mm -hmm. God, and and take great comfort in the the reality that all of these enemies, even the enemies that that come against us, they too are under his control, and he's using them for his glory, for the vindication of his holiness, and ultimately, even for the salvation of his people. It's a fantastic thing, Pastor Turgerson.
1: Yep, yep. I'm thinking of Moses at the Red Sea. The people of Israel are looking back at the army of the Pharaoh. And they're looking at Moses, and, and they got that look on their face, like, now what have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> and Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the Red Sea parts, and the children of Israel are like, well, I didn't anticipate that. <laughs> and, and down they go into the sea, and they walk across the sea, And then, when they're up on the other side, the sea comes crashing in on on Pharaoh and his armies, killing them all. And uh, you know, it's just this testimony that the way to victory in the Christian church is to stand still in faith and see God being our Savior, Mm -hmm. being the one who brings uh, deliverance and salvation.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that that picture of the people of Israel at the Red Sea and what the Lord does there. And then the picture here of the church being attacked by all of all of her enemies. And I think the the temptation for us as Christians is to panic in those moments. To you know everything's mm-hmm. going against us. What will we do? What will we do? Kind of running around like chickens with their head cut off. And and yeah. again this this picture of what the Lord's doing and even directing. You know I mean He's called the Lord of Hosts throughout the Book of Ezekiel and, and throughout the Old Testament. The Lord of Armies. And to realize mm-hmm. that those armies that he's in charge of include even the enemy armies, what a what a wonderful thing, and and uh, an antidote to our tendency, I think, to panic when danger sets in, instead, as you said, to just stand still, to trust that the Lord is directing these things and He's doing so for our good. That I mean, again, it's just a, such a comfort to us as His people from a text like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't look like salvation was happening as the children of Israel were getting close to the shore of the Red Sea, but boy, was it a salvation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and two, same with Gog and Magog. It doesn't look like salvation's about to happen for God's people when Gog and Magog and all these armies from the, you know, from the distant corners of the earth, they're coming against Israel. It doesn't look like salvation, but, but it, but it is because the lord is in charge of it all the other the other text and i'm reminded of it now as we've continued our conversation is where i think it's in i think it's in luke that jesus talks this way when he's talking about you know wars and rumors of wars and he tells his disciples when you see these things happening lift up your heads you know look up because you know your salvation is drawing near and and again what a what a it seems counterintuitive i suppose to human wisdom but what a wonderful thing that as even as we see the enemies of the Church gathering around, throwing the, the best attacks they have at us, we can still lift up our heads and note that salvation is drawing near because we've got our Lord's promise.
1: Yeah, when you see, uh, you know, in that text you just mentioned, men's hearts failing them for fear. So the world is looking at the things that are taking place and and they are fainting with fear, and and anxiety over the things that are taking place, and then Jesus says to his disciples, his believers, when you see these things, do the exact opposite. Look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Yeah. Well,
0: let's pick up the rest of the text here in Ezekiel 38. We're, we're starting now in verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel are dwelling securely, will you not know it? You will come from your place out of the uttermost parts of the north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great host, a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel, like a cloud covering the land. In the latter days I will bring you against my land, that the nations may know me, when through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Thus says the Lord God, Are you he of whom I spoke in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who in those days prophesied for years that I would bring you against them? But on that day, the day that Gog shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord God, my wrath will be roused in my anger. For in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, On that day there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the people who are on the face of the earth shall quake at my presence. And the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog on all my mountains, declares the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother with pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain upon him and his hordes and the many peoples who are with him torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. So I will show my greatness and my holiness and make myself known in the eyes of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. That takes us all the way through the end of Ezekiel chapter 38. Again, it does continue into chapter 39. We'll pick up that part of the text tomorrow so pastor turgison to, to think a little bit more maybe on the on the positive side of things you, you mentioned previously the way the church is described say in in verses eight and following those who've been you know brought back they've been brought out of the war here in, in this text we've got the idea of dwelling securely how, how does the lord accomplish mm-hmm. that i mean what does what does that look like that the lord makes his people dwell securely not only in the old testament but for us as christians today
1: well, the, the the idea that God has provided salvation. In the Old Testament, salvation was something that was looked forward to, the, the promises of the coming of the Messiah uh, and the increased knowledge of those promises as time went on. So in the Old Testament, there was a looking forward to the coming of the time when God's Messiah will come and he will work this great salvation. For us In under the New Covenant, uh, we have now seen all of these things fulfilled, and we now possess what the people in the Old Testament looked forward to. You know, Jesus said, you know, many, many kings and prophets have desired to see the things that you see and did not see them. Mm-hmm. Blessed are your eyes, for you see these things. And and so it is, we are those who see the fulfillment in the, in the birth, in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and what these mean for our eternal redemption. We are the ones who have been baptized and given the Holy Spirit of God and have been brought to this faith in eternal life, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the propitiation not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. And therefore, as we look at the problems and troubles of life, we do so from a perspective, just as the Old Testament believers did, of security in spiritual things, not security in the flesh, not carnal security, but spiritual security that lays its hopes on the promises of God and the work of God on behalf of sinners. And we know that this is not because of our worthiness or our goodness, but despite our unworthiness and our sinfulness, God has come with his grace to be our salvation. And this means that we have eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ, come what may in this world.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it is it is all by grace. That's a, a fantastic reminder. It's going to, that, that particular thought that this is all by grace, and, it, and we don't deserve it because we are sinners, that's going to come through in tomorrow's text from Ezekiel 39. The Lord's going to talk a little bit more about that, but it's certainly a, a huge part here. And, and one way that I think the Lord brings it out, even in, in the text that we've got today, and it, it's maybe something easy to miss, but in say in verse 16 when he's talking again to Gog he says you will come up against my people Israel what i mean you know, on the one hand like whoa what do you mean lord you're going to bring this enemy against against your church but the the fact that it's my people Israel i mean you you uh-huh. just in that that simple pronoun you see the lord's love you see the lord's grace that he's he's not going to be doing anything through these through Gog of Magog that he's not going to be able to save his people from because they're his people they belong to him that I mean that's such a a beautiful word that sometimes I think we just we'd skip over because it's small but we shouldn't this is the Lord's people you belong to him and again not because of not because you earned it right you're his people because of his holy precious blood that he gave for you on the cross
1: and that that relates what you know that my people Israel relates to what it says in verse 18 where it says, on that day, the day that God shall come against the land of Israel, declares the Lord, my wrath will be roused in my anger, for in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare, on that day there shall be a great earthquake. So in other words, uh, what Ezekiel here is saying and what God is saying is that the coming of Gog and Magog against the people of God does not result in the destruction and the defeat of God's people, but it results in the destruction and defeat of Gog and Magog and the glorification of God and his people. You know, we see in verse uh, in verse 16, where it says that nations may know me when Through you, O Gog, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And then later on in verse 23, I will show my greatness and my holiness, make myself known in the eyes of many nations, and they will know that I am the Lord. So God's word and God's plan of salvation is to be vindicated in these things. The attack of the enemy against the people of God does not result in the defeat and destruction of God's people, but it does result in the defeat and destruction of the enemies of God and his people.
0: And and that, that destruction of the enemies of the people of God... And the salvation that I mean it's the salvation of God's own people. It's it's we've seen this in the book of Ezekiel, how those two things go hand in hand. This is true throughout the scriptures, and we, we see it in Ezekiel, that that those two events are like sides, two sides of the same coin. That when God saves his people, he at the same time he also defeats his enemies. Both of those things together, that results in the vindication of God's holy name and and so that the whole world ultimately will know who he is. And I mean, I think, you know, you can see this in the in the praises of the church. I, I'm, I'm thinking of like some of the Easter hymnody that we have and the way that it describes the defeat of of the devil and death and our sin, which at the same time is our praising of God for what he's done. I mean, that, that takes us to the Red Sea as well, I suppose, in the Song of the Sea that, that happens there in Exodus 15 that whenever the Lord defeats the enemies of his people, and he does so completely, I mean, that's the description you get here in Ezekiel 38 of the the downfall of Gog is just a, an utter defeat of this huge army. When he does that, the, the praises of his people then are a part of this making known the Lord's holiness. They declare the greatness that he has won by saving them and by defeating his enemies. And, and we're still doing that today in the praises of the church.
1: Yes, and I, I just, as, as you were saying that, I, I was just thinking of a Luther at the Diet of Worms. Mm. Here's, here's this man of God who is all alone, and the power of the empire is against him, and it looks like he is going to go to the stake. It looks like he is going to have his head removed. But he stands firm in the truth of God, and he refuses to capitulate. He says, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me, amen. And uh, and in that moment, you see the utter frustration of the enemies of God's truth, and you see one man stand against all of that opposition and... The celebration that breaks out because he stood fast and he was uh and he was helped in his great time of need just as god always helps us in our time of need
0: pastor turgeson we have about three minutes left on the morning reflecting upon ezekiel 38 It'll help us to get the the fullness of the picture that's here and especially help us to see how this text strengthens our faith in our savior jesus christ
1: all right. Well, first of all, you, you have Gog and Magog and God tells them, you may have plans against my people and against my word, but you are only a tool in my hand to accomplish my greater purposes. My people, they live in spiritual security. Their security does not come from their military might. It does not come from from anything temporal. Their spiritual security comes from the things of the gospel. That is, they know that their sins are forgiven. They know that they have a gracious God in the name of Jesus They know that they have eternal life, that their sins are forgiven, that they are among the redeemed, and that one day all of the troubles and tribulations through which we must pass in this life will come to an end, and we will rejoice in the eternal kingdom of glory. But meanwhile, we have to deal with the opposition of Gog and Magog in uh, one form or another, uh, but as we do so, we do so knowing that it is the Lord who is our help, the Lord who is our deliverance, and the Lord who is our salvation.
0: Pastor William Turgeson is pastor at the Lutheran Church of Our Redeemer in Peekskill, New York, helping us today with Ezekiel 38, verses 1 to 23. Pastor Turgeson, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on this series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a thirty 60-second message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.